think Chinese cooking and the name Ken Hom immediately springs to mind. Ken has introduced the world to the wok and demonstrated how to prepare and cook a multitude of delicious Asian dishes. Now, there are countless Ken Hom cookbooks on kitchen shelves the world over, including mine. But now for the first time, there's a Ken Hom book for the bedside. This is the story of his life from a hand-to-mouth upbringing in the slums of Chicago to the world's leading authority on Asian cooking. The book's entitled My Stir-Fry Life, and who better to talk about it here on Emirates than the man himself, Ken Hom. So, Ken, great to see you back in Dubai. Thank you very much. I remember so well meeting you for the first time 15 years ago. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> for us both. And, and, I think and, I might have had hair then. <laughs> <laughs> you still got a little bit there. Um, and you were cooking, uh, doing a demonstration meal for a multitude of guests. Right. And we were in the brand new Burj Al Arab up on the top floor. That's right. And that's why I can remember it so much because what an occasion. So you're quite a regular visitor to Dubai. Yes, because I uh, come through Asia quite a bit uh, from Europe and it's um, it's an easy stop and it breaks up the trip and it's a wonderful sort of port destination as well. Do you enjoy Dubai? Do you appreciate Dubai? Uh, yes, very much because um, it reminds me very much of uh, Hong Kong and China. And what I mean by that, uh, and Asia in general, uh, places like uh, Bangkok and um, uh, Kuala Lumpur, I have seen all these uh, cities actually blossom and grow up. It's been truly, truly wonderful. And um, it's exciting to see uh, something like that here in the Middle East as well. The, the book is the story of your, your life, um, and it's long overdue. Many of your fans will look forward to hearing how you came to be in where you are today. Let's go right back to your upbringing. I mean, I, for one, for example, had no idea that you were actually born in America. I know. I, I think a lot. Well, do you know English is my second language? Actually, I did not speak English until I was six, so... Most of sort of the English I learned was from other um, sort of Hong Kong Chinese, which spoke British <laughs> English. And uh, because I lived in this very closed community, um, I never really became, uh, if you will, American. And what I mean by that was um, I felt like someone uh, from sort of uh, the outside looking in to a country that um, I had a disconnect. And of course, things are quite different now. Um, I'm, I'm almost 70 now, so we're talking about the 50s and 60s. And in America, it was very, very difficult. Was life tough? Yes, it was really tough. Well, if you don't speak the language <laughs> and if you don't look like an American, and what I meant by that is sort of white Anglo-Saxon, um, People uh, knew you were different, and uh, and of course I, I would not even uh, begin to think about what it would be like to be, say, a Black American, let alone, I mean, Chinese. But we lived in a self-contained community. We 
we ate, of course, only Chinese food, which my mother told me was the best in the world. <laughs> She was right, <laughs> especially when I went to school and I was horrified what my other fellow students were eating, and it only confirmed that she was right. We went to the Chinese cinema to see Chinese um, uh, movies, and it was a self-contained community that um, we didn't actually need anyone else. Uh, really, we were like an island. In the midst of America,、uh, well, how about your education? Did you go to a Chinese school, or was it a a mixed school? Well,、uh, when I was six, I had to go to a mixed school,、um, and of course, you, it's funny. Children can be cruel because they make fun of you when you don't speak the language, and when you're at six, you learn very quickly. And then after normal school was finished, I had to go to a Chinese school for three hours. So that was another three hours. So I'd be finished by six, and I was pretty knackered by then.、Um, I think my mother insisted that I keep my Chinese heritage, and in a way, it was very good because I, it always made me feel Chinese. And even though、um, you know I was not really Chinese from China, and it's interesting. This book is. Um, being translated into Chinese for the Chinese market, which is funny. It's kind of ironic. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And、um, I, I guess because I was Chinese, my mother infused a,、um, a very strong feeling、uh, about my heritage, and actually that made me stronger.、Uh, in other words, I said, "Okay,、um, it's okay." We're discriminated against, and we don't see anybody looking like me in the the other cinema、um, or on television. And but we can cook. <laughs> we have a long civilization, and、um, my mother constantly reminded me of the history of China and where you're from, and you know, Chinese values and ethics and that sort of thing. How would your Mum, how did your family come to be in Chicago in the first place? Well, it was very interesting. It's、uh, to make a long story short.、Um, my father's family had come、um, in the twenties.、Uh, we're talking about nineteen twenties to to America, immigrating from、uh, China because it was very poor and、um, people were looking for work. And then, because he grew up in America, he fought in the Second World War <laughs> in Europe. And because of that, he had the privilege of bringing home a war bride. So instead of bringing some French or Italian or British to America, he went back to China, where through family connection he met my mother. And actually,、uh, it's funny. I like to say,、uh, like many things today, I was actually conceived or made in China. And I found that out when my mother passed away because、uh, she was at least four months pregnant when she came to America. So because she had to transit through the Philippines and then gradually to San Francisco and then、uh, to Arizona, where, where I was born. Unfortunately, my father passed away when I was eight months old, and my mother,、um, I don't know, had difficulty because she couldn't speak English. Uh, with my father's family, so she went to San Diego to be with a school friend, and she lived off the money off, for several years off of the insurance that he had from the army, and then got to the point where she had to make a living. So she took me to Chicago, where relatives were able to offer her a job in a 
in a factory because she couldn't speak English. Um, so she had to work for Chinese and um, she made the equivalent, uh, I don't know, about uh, 90 quid a month or something like that. So we were quite poor. She had to walk to work, which took about an hour to hour and a half and maybe two to three hours when it was severe snow and that sort of thing. But uh, it's funny, it's those hard times that actually um, make you thrive for something. And it's funny because everybody uh, in the Chinese community um, admonished me to say, Ken, when you grow up, whatever you do, remember your mom. <laughs> so uh, later on, uh, of course, I started doing well and I supported her and um, paid for all her trips and gave her an income so she could quit work. And um, for her 80th, I threw a banquet for 250 of her best friends <laughs> in Chinatown. And of course, everybody would say, oh, you have such a good son <laughs> and everything. I said, no, he needs to work harder. He needs to <laughs> improve. <laughs> but I could tell she was quietly proud and happy. And actually, it made everything worthwhile. It's funny. Um, Success means nothing except to find my mom happy. Obviously, your mom passed away uh, yes. many years ago. But uh, as you say, she must have been quietly very proud of you. Yes. And she was a rock in my life. And um, what I meant by that was values. She said, you have to you know, go out there and do your thing. I can't do it for you. But um, she imbued those values into me that actually carried me forward. And uh, those values, I mean, will continue until the day I die. But um, yeah, she passed away about uh, nine years ago. And it's funny because I have her ashes in Hong Kong at this temple where I go to <laughs> uh, wish her well. I, Cause she likes to play mahjong. So I buy her a paper mahjong set, which I burn <laughs> to her soul. Can you remember when you first picked up a wok for the first time and tried your hand at cooking? When was that? Well, it's funny. Um, I started working in my uncle's restaurant at age 11 because we desperately needed the money. And um, also, I wanted to have pocket money. I never had an allowance. So um, it was a way for me to, to make some money. I worked on weekends and uh, school holidays. And I did everything from chopping to uh, washing dishes. And it's there that I learned um, from the chefs. They would say sometimes when they took the afternoon off, uh, order came in, it was easy, said, can you do that? <laughs> and uh, actually, that's how I learned how to cook, not so much from my mom, um, but from the restaurant. So my, my cooking was more restaurant cooking than anything. And I had an uncle who, who owned the restaurant, uh, who became my surrogate father. He, he couldn't have any children. And uh, he sort of adopted me and showed me how to work. He was a hardworking man, uh, quite smart, erudite, self-made man. Uh, he had his fingers in a lot of businesses. Um, and But he knew good food. He didn't cook himself, but he knew how to run the restaurant. From there, when did you take the decision to devote or dedicate your life to cooking? Because there must have been 
Lots of pressure on you to go out and be a, an accountant or a banker or... You sound like my mother now. <laughs> For years she used to say, when are you going to get a regular job and yeah, stop get this a, cooking get a proper job, Yeah, get yeah. a proper job. And... What happened was uh, at age 15, after four years working for my uncle, I thought, this is not a career move. And so I got different jobs. I started actually working. I uh, worked in a supermarket and then I <clears throat> worked in an office uh, being a messenger. And I actually didn't do any cooking for a long time uh, simply because I thought, Oh, this is too difficult. Um, in the 70s, I moved to California. And at one point, I was desperate to pay my rent. And somebody asked me, actually, I had gone to Europe. And that's the first time I actually came to the UK was in 1971. It's almost 50 years ago. And then I went to Europe, all around Europe, um, um, in 72. And then I came back in 74 to the States where I was studying at the University of California. And somebody asked me uh, to do a cookery class, a cookery class on Italian cooking. We're talking about 74. And I said, yes, I could do that because I had been to Italy and I stayed with these families. So it was very successful. And she asked me, do you know anything about Chinese? I said, oh, my God, I could do this with my hands tied behind my back, blindfolded. I said, of course. And it's interesting because it launched me not so much as a chef, but as a teacher. And I think um, eventually that led to my first book and that led to BBC knocking on my door in the early 80s um, to do a Chinese cookery series, which I never imagined would be so successful in my wildest imagination. I thought it was something I would do, and um, I would go back and resume my career teaching in California. Uh, little did I know it would take over my life. It, it literally transformed my life. Um, the book that came out with the first series in 84 was so successful that it had a first printing of 350,000 copies, which at that time, uh, we're talking about 1984, broke all non-fiction UK publishing uh, records. I outsold Jeffrey Archer that year. <laughs> My book was number one for 26 weeks. My goodness, that's amazing. It was amazing. And, um, and th the rest they say is history. <laughs> <laughs> one of the wonderful things I have to say in the book are there's some photographs of you as a young man. And of course, everyone knows what you look like now, your appearance, yes. but there's some great photographs of you with long hair and, and a moustache. I thought to myself, I looked at that, is that Ken Hall? Yes. My because, goodness, it is. Yeah. You know, I, in many ways, I was a hippie, um, which I still am. I mean, I, be, I believe in uh, love and peace and that sort of thing. And part of that sort of California organic food, knowing where your food comes from, that sort of thing is in me. I'm, I'm a bit of a rebel. And what I mean by that is there's lots of things that still concern me, like um, uh, wastage, uh, food wastage all over the world. Um, um, in the UK, it's amazing. 40% of food is actually thrown down the bin. 
I mean, it's outrageous. And also, uh, um, it's got me involved in a lot of uh, charities like Action Against Hunger and all these sorts of things that actually relate to food. Um, and um, I'm interested in things like you know the climate change, sustainability. All these are really important for us um, in the food industry, as well as teaching about food. I want to teach people not to waste anything and how to use up everything. And it, it's not the point of whether you have money or not. It's just that I, th I think for the planet, we can't be just tossing everything sort of <laughs> out the window into the bin. Ken, you've achieved so much in your life. You're a household name around the world. Your cookbooks are everywhere. You are number one for Asian cooking. Is there anything else that you want to achieve in your lifetime? Is there any, do you have any ambitions left? Well, my ambitions now is actually to continue working hard to make this world a better place. Um, one thing I love about, um, if somebody were to ask me, as you said, things I've achieved, what power does it give me? The power it gives me is to raise money, to uh, action against hunger. Um, when I cook a dinner for, um, uh, for the charity, for four people, I ask a lot of money to go to the charity. I'll pay for the dinner, I'll pay for the wine, but the privilege of me cooking for them, <laughs> they have to pay a lot to the charity. And I love that power. <laughs> <laughs> and you do that, do you? you, you yes, I do that a lot. And in fact, uh, two meals I just sold in December for 16,000 pounds, which is a oh. lot of money. <laughs> wow. And for, again, action against hunger. And are you prepared to go anywhere to cook these meals? Yes, of course. <laughs> okay. And usually they come to me. Okay. They come to my home or something like that, uh, which is even nicer. Now, you need, you're on a quest to raise money, so you have a fantastic yeah. opportunity now to address all the passengers on Emirates, on this Emirates flight. If they want you to cook a special <laughs> meal for them and pay a lot of money to charity, how, how yes. do they get in touch? Uh, they can in, get in touch either through my website, uh, www.kenhom.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Chef Ken Hom, and on Twitter. And for instance, I know that Emirates has a, a charity as well. And I would love to raise a lot of money for your charity. It's called the Emirates Foundation. Yes. And uh, if you want to pop some money in an envelope, you'll find the envelope in your seat pocket right now. Pop a few coppers or a few, a little bit of change in there, even a few crinkly notes if you can. It's all very welcome. Ken, it's been a real pleasure talking to you on this Emirates flight. Thank you so much for joining us. And I just want to remind everybody Thank about you. the title of your book, which is called My Stir Fried Life, Ken Holmes' Life. Thank you so much. And uh, let's hope to see you soon. Thank you.